Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 5, Episode 18, brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. Episode 18, think about where we were at Episode 1, 2, 3, and 4 in January. Oh my gosh, the world has completely changed. Have you had an experience recently where you saw something from, you know, pre-pandemic restriction, like a bunch of people at an event, for instance, or just thinking about what church was like the last time you were there? Doesn't that all seem so odd and like it was five years ago now? Yes, it's been a long two months. Well, my name is Rick. I'm author of last year's uh, release, The God Who Fights For You. Um, and before that, Spiritual Grit, and before that, The Jesus-Centered Life, on which this podcast is based. So I'm also the editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, and we have a, a, a really great idea happening right now uh, related to The Jesus-Centered Bible. It's a way of blessing graduates, high school graduates or college graduates um, in our culture right now who have just been through such a hard season of loss and are still facing it today. The idea is to, is to um, uh, secretly organize, giving them each graduate a Jesus-centered Bible, um, and that in advance, you contact the people around them and ask them to contribute a favorite verse and a special message to that graduate. And then you collect those uh, via email and you fold them into bookmarks and put them in the Bible that you give to the graduates so that they have a Bible full of bookmarks with uh, scripture passages that are meaningful to the people in their lives, along with a note. And uh, so we have that um, uh, particular blessing idea out there right now. We posted a whole blog on this, on how to do this. So we'll give you a link to both the youth ministry version of that blog and also just the anybody version that blog. So if you want to uh, make brighter uh, the life of a, of a graduate in your life in the midst of some darkness, that's a great way to do it. So, um, And uh, I also should mention that uh, the Jesus Center Daily, my daily devotional that's been 18 months in the works, is now about to ship out for printing. So we're looking forward to that getting back to us in its final form this summer, and then it will come out in early October. So um, this group, because uh, you're a particular um, group of people who are pigs, not chickens, meaning you're, you've gone all in or want to with Jesus, we'll give you some special access to that daily devotional before it comes out, and we'll involve you in its release when it, when it happens as well. So I'm looking forward to that down the line. So we are now in the 13th episode of a new series that I'm calling Foundations. And in that series, we explore foundational truths that are connected to Jesus and his mission in our lives. And today, we're going to explore the, the, uh, the topic that I'm calling Breathe. Breathe. Oh, my goodness. Do we need to breathe right now? So whether it's at school or your job or your responsibilities at home, 
all of us have work as a given, right? Um, our work sometimes right now seems never ending. This whole life on Zoom calls and morphing ourselves into um, a new version of ourselves, morphing our work into something we've never seen before, or looking for work in the midst of all of these restrictions, all of that um, seems harder than it ever has been before for a lot of people. But work, work really is a, is a given in our life. Um, and I, I asked our group of young people that meet in our house every week, um, that now meet virtually online and is in a very um, interactive, experiential Zoom experience that we have every week with them. I asked them this last week to uh, capture uh, whether they're, they feel like they're working harder than before or less hard than before just in general in their life. And we did a little poll online with them and found out about half of them are working harder and half of them are working less hard than when they were actually in school. That really is all dependent on your school and the teachers involved and everything else. But then I asked them uh, to craft their own six word description of what uh, rest means to them. In the midst of all this work and all this pressure and anxiety that we're experiencing as a culture, I, I wanted them to, under, to, to consider what rest means to them. And so I asked them to do it using only six words. And I thought I'd read you some of what they wrote. So this, these are their six words descriptions of what rest means. Life is crazy, God is everywhere. Exhausting day, but I feel satisfied. Being present outdoors with a Bible. We have connection, but not community. Time to breathe and replenish strength. The freedom of being fully known. Um, family and friends, I'm fully seen. Gaining energy from people I love. Peace of mind, presence of God. Making memories with friends in nature. And it goes on. So you can you, you start to see maybe a picture in one of these reflections that would also fit you. What would be your six-word description of what rest means to you? Maybe you found yourself in one of these. In Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3, um, here's what we read. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it, it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. So we know this familiar passage about creation that on the seventh day God rested and that's where we get the whole practice of Sabbath and that this idea that we rest on the seventh day. But I, I thought it'd be interesting to point out a few things that probably we've jumped over and haven't noticed in this little passage. If you notice, um, God rested when the thing that he was doing was completed or finished, the words complete or finished appear three times in these two sentences. So um, rest is something that he did when he completed something. And, but the inherent problem, the elephant in the living room here is God is all powerful, all knowing, all sufficient in and of himself. So why does he need to rest? Uh, is it possible that God gets exhausted? Well, by definition, that can't be true. He is his own sustenance. He is his own fuel. So 
it's not true that God needs rest for some of the same reasons that we need rest, that we are exhausted and need a break. God never takes a break, ever. He's 24-7 all the time. Um, and it, if, if rest is what we mean by what we need, then it can't possibly be true of God. But here, God embeds from the very beginning of time this whole idea of rest. So why does he need to rest is the question. And it's hard to answer unless you expand your definition of what rest is. That must be true, that rest isn't just the way that we typically uh, define what it is. It must mean something more, to, more than that. So um, I thought it'd be interesting for us to read through this short chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, which is all about rest. So I thought I'd read through Hebrews 4, and then let's, let's uh, as I read through it, I'd like you to think through um, uh, what is the rest being described in Hebrews 4? What sort of rest is being described here uh, in Hebrews 4 as I read this? So think about that as I read. Here we go. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this is good news, that God has prepared this rest, has, and it has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good, because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in scripture where he mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this, though David much later, through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he still did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The fascinating passage here about rest. The entire chapter really is, is about rest. Think of the number of times you heard me say that word in this 
passage about rest. So what, what can we pluck out of this? What, what does rest mean from God's perspective? If we think about this passage in Hebrews 4, what does rest mean from God's perspective? Well, I gave our group on Tuesday night, I split them into uh, five groups, and I asked each of those five groups to pour over this passage and extract what they thought rest means from God's perspective from this passage. And what's more, I gave them a little additional challenge. I said, you have to, you have to write that definition in six words, just like you wrote your own in six words. So I thought I'd read you what they plucked out of this Hebrews 4 in, in their six-word descriptions of how God sees what rest is. One group said, it's a predetermined promise for his refuge. A predetermined promise for his refuge. I'll go back over these in just a second. Let me just give you the overview of the five six-word definitions they came up with. The second one is, work from rest, not for it. The third is, he is rest. He's our fulfillment. The fourth one is, faithful entering eternal relief with me. And the last one is, enjoy God's goodness, posture of receiving. So let's go back over these. I think these are fascinating. They, they're, they're good little snapshots from different angles on this passage in Hebrews 4. The first one, a predetermined promise for his refuge. So what they're implying here is that this promise of refuge existed a long time ago, and the invitation is sitting there for us to walk into that promise. And the promise is for refuge. That, that group is saying rest translates to refuge. And a, a refuge um, is, a, is a place of safety, right? It's a fortress where once you're inside the walls, you can relax. You can be safe. Another way of saying that is home. In a home that is healthy, in a home where you're seen and loved unconditionally, there's, there's no place that feels more like a refuge than that. Now, I know many people did not experience their home as a refuge, but it was intended to be a refuge. And when we talk about our longing for home, that's what we're longing for, a place where we're fully seen, fully known, fully enjoyed. That is our ultimate refuge. And so entering into Jesus' rest means entering into his refuge, into the visceral knowledge that in our relationship with him, we can relax at a deep level. We can experience um, what it means to, to be completely safe and completely ourselves. And the rest comes from not having to be on guard all the time, being able to, to, to trust in an atmosphere where um, the, the goodness of Jesus' heart has in, uh, invited us to trust. The second definition, work from rest, not for it, uh, is a good picture of what typical life is like for most of us. We work during the week so that we can rest on the weekend in some way. So in that, in that uh, scenario, we are working for rest, not from it. And this group is saying that what God's rest looks like is that we can be at rest even when we're working, that it's a kind of rest that allows us to relax inside even when we are working hard, that this kind of rest is not dependent on us ceasing from working. So 
We know from the original passage in Genesis 2 that God rested when what he was doing was complete. And so in that sense, his rest was, um, I am creating, 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 and now I look out on my creation and it is good. There is nothing else I can add to it or need to add to it to make it better than it is now. It is good right now. And that idea that there is nothing we need to do to earn our way into God's favor, to work harder, to be justified in any way, is a form of working from rest, not for it. That we live out of that sense of the work is complete. There's nothing else that I need to prove. The third one, he is rest. He's our fulfillment. I love this one because um, we're not just looking for something outside of ourselves or something that Jesus can provide to us, which is rest. He is rest itself. And to come into Jesus, to be intimately connected to him, attached to him, to be a child or a sheep or a, a branch embedded in the vine, any of the metaphors that he uses, to be in Jesus is to experience rest because he is rest. It's, it's, it harkens back to when Jesus uh, was responding to Thomas, who wanted to know when Jesus said, I'm going away, but you guys will follow me later. And Thomas said, uh, I don't know. I don't even know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. How, how are we supposed to follow you? If we don't know where you're going. It might've been Philip that said that. It's either Philip or Thomas. They asked Jesus, we don't know where you're going. So how are we supposed to follow you? Um, what is the way that you're talking about? So his response was saying, um, show us that way, Jesus, because you haven't shown us that way yet. Like give us a map. And Jesus's response is, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, you find the way by being in me. I will take you on the way because I am the way. So he is our rest. He is rest. He's our fulfillment. Speaks to the, 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 the one thing that can fill the hole in our soul that we've been working to try to fill our whole lives. When we find intimacy with Jesus, we find the only thing we were made for in our life was to to have Jesus fill that hole in us. And when he does, we are at rest. The, the, the fourth one, faithful entering eternal relief with me. So here it gives the qualifier for, for those who believe. And Jesus made a big point about this. You know, if you don't believe in me, well, then you're left outside of all of my blessings. And uh, the, it's a simple thing. Either you believe in me or you don't believe in me. And by believing, it's not just simply, I believe in God. Belief here means, do I trust you? Do I think that you are who you say you are? And because of that, am I following you and treating you as if you are who you say you are? That's what it means to believe. So in this definition, it's the faithful that enter that rest. And it makes perfect sense. You, if, if our attachment and intimacy with Jesus is what brings us into his rest, if you don't believe, you won't be attached. You can't get what he has if you stay detached from him. It's just not possible. Jesus is simply saying what's real. If you're not attached to me, you're not, you're not going to get what I have. So I don't want that to happen, but I'm not going to force it to happen either. And in the last definition, enjoy God's goodness. Be an, uh, Enjoy God's goodness, a posture of receiving. I love that word posture. 
it, it speaks to something bigger than a decision or a choice. It's a fundamental orientation of your life that you have a posture of receiving grace from Jesus, receiving what he has to give. Even when we're attached to him, if we refuse to receive what he has, we won't get it because he's not going to force us to receive it. So here they're talking about um, having a posture of receiving so that we can gain the beauty of the rest. So what does all this mean for us to rest in Jesus then? So remember the, the consequences of sin. Uh, if we go back again to Genesis that are now embedded in our reality. What are those consequences of sin? Let's just go back real quick here and read from Genesis 3. Here's where God is speaking to Adam and Eve, telling them the consequences of their betrayal and the shattering of the relationship. So here's what, here's what uh, God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Listen here for what the consequences of being outside of relationship with God are. Many said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain in your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from the earth. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So here we discover in this that the consequences of sin that are now embedded in our reality are things like pain and striving for control and hard, often fruitless work and exhaustion. All of these things are results that have come out of our betrayal, the shattering of our relationship with God. We have moved from rest in him where he is our refuge to this place where embedded in our humanness is pain, more pain than we were intended to experience. And this constant striving for control in our relationships, the, the, the woman trying to control the husband and the husband trying to rule over her is simply a picture of this wrestling match of control that exists in our most intimate relationships and in really in all relationships. And then this idea that our work is often fruitless, it leads to nothing. Have you experienced that recently in your work where you've worked so hard on something and then haven't seen the fruit of it? And just the sheer exhaustion from this kind of work. Well, this is the work and the consequences of that that is the direct result of the shattering relationship with, with God. And Jesus has come to give us rest again. And it's not the rest that's like a break from something like the weekend is. It's a lifestyle of rest. It's a permanent sense of rest and refuge. That means that when we're in rest, we are still working hard because God is working hard right now in billions of lives and in trillions of ways, he is working right now. So God works from a place of rest though. Um, his, the goodness of his creation is complete. So he is at rest, even though he is working hard right now. So the question then, our last question here then is, well, what does rested from all his work really mean? 
And what does Jesus, what is Jesus really promising when he says, I will give you rest? So let me read you a couple of little passages here. First one's from Mark 6. This is where um, Jesus is with his disciples. And they have just gone out two by two um, without him for the first time to heal people of sicknesses and cast out demons and proclaim the truth about the Messiah. And they're exhausted after this incredible experience that they've been on. And um, Jesus wants to help them to rest after this really demanding thing that he asked them to do. So this is from Mark 6, uh, verses 30 to 32. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And then what happened is that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And he saw that they had, were desperate for him. And so instead of getting the rest they needed, they spent the whole day um, engaging people in their need. And this is where the, the uh, few loaves and fishes were multiplied to feed them at the end of the day. And they go late into the night. Um, meeting the needs of people. They did not get the rest they were hoping for. So they, and the reason that they didn't get the rest that they needed was there was some incompletion in what Jesus was doing. Um, his engagement with these people had not completed yet. And then let, well, let's move to Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. Uh, um, this is Jesus, the centrality of Jesus' relationship, inviting us into the, the kind of rest that he wanted for his disciples and he wants for us now. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for re revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm inviting you into rest. So how do we translate what Jesus really means in here? If he wants to give us rest, what does that really mean? I thought, I'd, uh, again, with my group on Tuesday night, I gave them this challenge to respond to these two passages and answer that question. What kind of rest is Jesus intending for us? What does it really mean? Let me, let me uh, just go over some of the things that they responded about this, because I think these things are so profound. One, one person said, rest is a different kind of rest than God took on the seventh day. He's wondering this aloud. So the, the, when we talk about physical exhaustion, that can't be true with God, because God wasn't physically exhausted on that seventh day. And, and God is not saying, this person said, uh, that he's not saying we won't have to work. That's what take my yoke upon you means. 
that implies that we'll, we'll be yoked to him and the work we'll be doing yoked to him, though, will come from a place of rest. And this person said, maybe, maybe his rest means that he's taken the weight of sin off of us. That as we are yoked to him, we don't have the heavy burden of sin on us that weighs us down. And therefore, our work is light. It's, it's not the heavy thing that we expect. Another, another person in the group said, does rest build trust or does trust lead to rest? Does rest build trust or does trust lead to rest? And in our conversation about what he said, what came out was the second half of what he said, um, that trust leads us to rest. That our circumstances, if we're at rest in our circumstances and everything basically is going the way we'd hope it goes, that doesn't lead to real rest because it also doesn't build, build real trust. Trust, hear me when I say this now, when you're in the midst of hardship like we are right now, it is the perfect time to, to build your trust muscle in Jesus because trust is built when there's a price tag attached to it. So right now we have the opportunity to trust when it's painful to do it to trust when we doubt whether things will actually come true, to trust when we're afraid of what will happen if our trust is misplaced, if, our, if the hopes that we have are dashed. This is the time right now when our trust can grow. And if our trust grows, our rest grows. Remember, if we trust the refuge that we're inside, then we relax everything. We can be fully ourselves when we trust the refuge that we've come inside. Um, another person uh, quoted this passage, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And that rest doesn't simply mean a lack of activity, but through trusting him, our strength is renewed. So that rest really means to work from a place where your strength is continuously being renewed. And it's continuously being renewed because you're attached in a deeply intimate way to Jesus, who is like a wellspring of life coming up in us, constantly renewing our strength. So that this is how we actually work from a place of rest, because he's renewing our strength all the time. So um, another person said, when I'm not trusting God, it feels like I'm holding my fist tight. I feel tense. But when I trust Jesus, I can release those things to him. So this anxiety, this tension that we feel, the work that we're doing, the work in that sense is complete when we relax and release those things to him. It doesn't mean we stop working. It means the person responsible for the outcome is no longer us primarily, that we do the work, that we're faithful in our work, but we trust him in the midst of those, that work to bring about the fruit. We plant the seed, he brings the growth. That's what Paul said. Uh, Paul said that we're seed planters, but the spirit brings the growth. So that's, that's what it means to work from a place of rest. We do what we need to do in planting the seeds of work, and then we trust Jesus to bring about the growth. Another person said rest is having peace of mind, sort of a recalibration of the narrative we're telling ourselves, meaning that the narrative we're telling ourselves inside now, instead of making us anxious and afraid, brings us peace. 
And that narrative goes something like this. I'm your child, Jesus. Without you, I'm nothing. Everything I have, I need from you. I trust you because you're good. When we start to be able to say that in our interior narrative and really mean it, we'll experience peace of mind. And the last one is, rest is when I'm reminded of his gracious heart. I get focused on the task, but what can I do to fix this? But Jesus tells us we don't have to work for his love. So when we recognize that we don't have to work for his love, that his heart is gracious, we cease striving. Remember that uh, passage from Psalms? Cease, Cease striving and know that I am God. To know God means to cease striving because we have entered into his refuge. We have entered into his rest. So there you have it, gang. Um, An invitation from Jesus to enter into his rest, to find in his presence a kind of a deep completeness, a relaxation of soul. It doesn't mean you're putting your head in the sand, that there aren't hard things to deal with. It just means inside you can relax because you know your refuge is strong. Um, I'm going to, in our, in our post for this, I'm going to add a link to an Andrew Peterson song called God Rested. I think it's a powerful, visual, lyrical reminder of what the kind of rest Jesus is inviting us into looks like. So we'll put a link to that Andrew Peterson song, God Rested, with visuals that go with it on our podcast page, which is at paying Head over there to check out all of our links. You're going to be looking for season five, episode 18 of this podcast. And uh, you can subscribe to us, by the way, on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss one. And hey, gang, we'll see you again next week.